Hey, Taylor. Hey, what's up? Nice to finally meet you. <laughs> it's great to finally meet you. I'm so excited. Good. I'm excited to have you on here. How do you and Malcolm know each other? Malcolm and I uh, went to college together. We went to acting school in New York, and he's one of my best friends. So when I listened to your podcast, I was like, Malcolm, you have to submit to this guy. Like, <laughs> your story is so unique. And I, w- I was thrilled to see that he got the episode, and it just cracked me up. Uh, so we've been acting together for a few years. That's dope. How did you get into acting? I've been acting professionally since I was nine. You I used to live in California. And then I moved to Colorado and then New York about six years ago. Wow. Do you do stand-up too? Um, I've tried stand-up. It scares the crap out of me. Like people that can do stand-up, I applaud. Uh, I'm getting back into it. I've been writing a little bit. But I um, have been working on a series, actually. Cool. Writing a series. What's it about? Are you able to share it? Yeah, um, I wrote this one-woman show last February, and it premiered at Denver Fringe Festival in June. June, and it's it's very autobiographical. Yeah. So it's it's a girl who basically grew up overweight and went through like some sexual trauma when she was young, and decided her junior year of college, which is what happened to me, I decided to get bariatric surgery. Mm-hmm. And I lost a hundred pounds and it saved my life. Like I had all these medical problems and it's something people don't talk about and is incredibly stigmatized, but I have like a condition that legitimately you can't lose weight. Like that is a side effect of uh, a disease I have. Uh-huh. And so this was like my only option. I was pre-diabetic. I had insomnia, like I had all these serious health issues coming on. So I wrote about it. I was like, this could be fun because the way people treat you, like I, I mean, I was close to 300 pounds. Mm-hmm. So I was, it's a big difference visually, my face, especially, um, sure. like looking at myself, I'm like, that's a little weird, but um, <laughs> it's basically, it's that story and how food and trauma are connected. That's so yeah. cool. Sweet. Well, Thank this you. is a perfect spot for it. I can't wait yeah. to hear all about it. Taylor, what happened to you? Um, I was sexually abused from ages 10 to 13 by a neighbor, um, who actually happened to be a year younger than me and a girl. So it's kind of an unconventional case, especially with the law, which I'll I'll get into. But, um, it basically started, uh, at my 10th birthday party. It was like the first sleepover birthday party, like you get to have, um, And all these girls came over and it started with truth or dare, which I'm now like traumatized by truth or dare. (laughs) I won't play it. I swear. It doesn't matter who I'm with. (laughs) I refuse. Um, But it was like, you know, weird things. It would would advance sexually. Like uh, it started as like, oh, like take your top off. Everyone's like, oh, that's kind of fun. We're 10. Um, And then it kind of progressed to like, you touch this person, you do this, put this inside of you. Like it got really weird, really fast. And some girls left. And I remember having this feeling where I was like, this isn't normal. This isn't right. And I was like, let's stop. I don't want to do this. And she was like, okay. And the next day I went to her house cause she was my neighbor and she lived there with her grandmother. And she showed me, she was like, come here. I want to show you something. And it's really interesting because I listened to your story and I was like, the grooming techniques are really interesting how they, they cross because she showed me an internet game of hentai porn. Yeah. And that's, 
to this day, I think, why I hate The Shape of Water, the movie. Like, oh. I just can't deal with fish people. I can't yeah. deal with goals. It just kind of weirds me out. But she showed me that, and it really, like, jarred me. But she was like, no, watch it, watch it. So we, you know, made me watch it. And for years, it was, like, her, like, locking me in the bathroom with her and not letting me leave until I, you know, did what she said. And I remember always saying, like, no, I'd be guilty. Like, I'll be guilty. And you'll be guilty, like you'll feel guilty or like I I was raised Catholic. Mm -hmm. And when I was younger, I kind of found out just because you know who you are, that I was queer in some sort of way. I was like, something is kind of different. And Uh that was already some sort of guilt. And then all of a sudden, my best friend, the person I'm supposed to trust is forcing me to touch her and forcing herself on me. In a lot of ways, in, in, in some ways, it was really aggressive. Uh, some days, you know, in other days, it'd be like, let's play this game. You have to play this game or I won't be your friend. <laughs> yeah. It's like, Classic. Yeah. Fuck? Like, right. What am I supposed to do with that? Like, and I was, I didn't have a lot of friends. It's middle school. Middle school's hard. And mm-hmm. this was like the one person that I trusted. And I remember the first event that happened she locked me in her bathroom with her and forced me to finger her and basically wouldn't let me leave until I did that. And I remember I left and we live in a cul-de-sac. My parents do. And I threw up outside and I went home and ate dinner and acted like nothing happened. Yeah. Because what else do you do? (laughs) (laughs) It's a tough situation to be in for sure. And with with that initial truth or dare game, what was the experience like? Was that girl like proposing all of the initial sexual things or? She was very much the or, like, orchestrating it in the way that she'd be like, all right, let's, we're going to do this. And now your turn to be dared. Now you go into the bathroom with that girl. It's very much like started as like seven minutes in heaven type. Yeah. And moved into like, now you have to do this. And you said that there were other girls that were leaving, right? Yeah. What did they say? Like, how did they get out of the scenario? And were they like, did, did that girl who ended up molesting you, was she, did she make them like feel bad at all or anything? So it's tricky. I mean, yeah, it, I remember I was friends with one of the girls that like stuck around because the moment it got a little sexual, like you kiss, blah, 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 you kiss, blah, blah, blah. A lot of the girls were like, we're going upstairs and watching a movie and we're not kissing girls. Um, yeah which is great. Whatever. (laughs) You're 10. You shouldn't be kissing anybody. Um, So, sorry, New York noise. Um, No worries. I continued to be friends with one of the girls that stuck around. And I remember we had a sleepover and it it was a few years later. And she was like, you know, your birthday party was really weird. And I was like, yeah, let's not talk about it. Because at the time I was still being abused by this girl. It, Mm. It lasted for about three years. And I remember... it's weird listening to the podcast and having new memories come out. Yeah. Like stuff I don't remember that I was like, oh yeah, that did happen. And (laughs) oh shit. Like it was very much a routine. And I I know it's kind of like already a given, but this girl must have been molested or abused by somebody else to know this. She was actually a grade below me. She was nine or 10 when this all began. And Anyway, I would like go over to her house after school. We would do homework. Shit would go down. 
then we would eat dinner with her grandma like nothing happened. And um, I'd go back to my house, eat dinner again like nothing had happened. And that is why I, <laughs> I write about trauma and food because it's like, that is such a big correlation for me specifically growing up. Like food was con consistent. It was like the only consistent thing. I was like, okay, I'm here. I know I'll get a meal at the end of this and it'll be good. Like, <laughs> they always have really good food. I won't lie to you. <laughs> yeah, I'll put up with this for some pot pie. Yeah, yeah like they get Panda Express and I'd be like, well, I could go over there today, but <laughs> you know what will happen. Right. But you could get dumplings. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> I'm like, my option. <laughs> yeah. You said uh, she lived with her grand grandmother. Yes. What happened with her parents? So that's also an interesting story. Her mother had moved in before they moved in. And her mom was a divorcee, had a lot of money, didn't work. Um, and she had an alcohol problem. She, she was an addict. And I would go over there occasionally and like hang out with her mom before I knew her at all. My mom and dad were like, you know, like bring cookies to the neighbor, bring cookies. And she'd always be like, can Taylor come watch a movie? Which was weird in retrospect. Now that I'm thinking about it, like hanging out with a grown woman by myself. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's weird. Anyway. For sure. I there's mean, a it's... lot going on here. Yeah, um, yeah. So I, I would go over um, and then eventually I met, we'll call her Maddie. I met Maddie and um, nothing happened when Maddie's mom was still alive, but Maddie's mom died of alcoholism when we were, I was eight. Mm -hmm. um, so I'd known this, I'd known Maddie like for most of my childhood since I moved to Colorado. And then her grandmother took the house and took Maddie in, became her legal guardian and they lived there. And it, ha it was going on for about two and a half years. And I finally like, and I have, I have a lot of anxiety growing up. I had a lot of anxiety problems to the point where I would get sick, like just sick to my stomach. Um, and I remember I was like, kept getting that guilt feeling that sick to my stomach, Catholic guilt. Oh my God, what's going on feeling. And yeah. I locked my mom in the car with me. And I was like, I have to tell you something. I'm like, I'm on the verge of vomiting. She's like, hey, what's going on? And I was like, whatever I tell you, you have to promise you won't tell anybody. And I remember she promised me like she wouldn't. I was like, even dad. Yeah. She's like, okay. Because my dad also, I was like, he's a scary man. Like, what if he hurts somebody? Like, yeah, yeah. What would go wrong? I don't know. And he also like, I was just like, dude, the man's got a booming voice. So I was scared of him. I was like, that guy's angry. Like, he just hurt somebody. I don't know. So I told my mom and she said, don't, we're not going over there anymore. And I said, okay. And it must've been a month later. I was homesick from school and my mom came into my room and she was like, I talked to Maddie's grandmother. And I was like, yeah. She goes, well, Maddie said that you made her do these things and uh, that you fuck. did these things to Maddie. And I'm sitting there like, my mother thinks I'm a rapist. Uh -oh. <laughs> my mother thinks I'm a rapist. Like, what do you, and in my head, I was like, what? She goes, these are things that you can do when you're an adult and you love somebody, but these aren't things kids do. And so I'm thinking, she like, believed the grandma. Well, I thought so. I was like, oh my God. And so in that moment, I like built like this brick wall. I was like, okay, no one to trust. I'm nobody, <laughs> nobody in, nobody out. And I didn't find out until my sophomore year of high school. So this was in maybe seventh or eighth grade. And then sophomore year of high school, 
I checked into a treatment center because I had really bad anxiety and depression. And I was dealing with this trauma that I had never processed. And I mean, I had told therapists about it in the past. And every time they have to check, you know, has this been reported with the law? And every yeah. time it comes back as uh, illegitimate, like it can't be reported because the rapist is a minor and a female. So that alone, they say, disqualifies the yeah, entire case. There's no case. <laughs> it's children playing. What? Children I, playing. Because neither of us can legally consent. Right. But just because you can't legally consent doesn't mean that that means everything that happens to you. I, I don't understand how that, that doesn't make any sense. <laughs> no. And it so, really messed me up. I, I had reported it or reported it. I had told the therapist because my mom was like, if you want to tell your therapist, please. But if you don't want to, don't feel like you have to. I was like, I'm a teller. So yeah. I told her and she was like, I need to check on this. And that was in seventh grade when I told my therapist. Um, so fast forward to sophomore year of high school, I'm in the treatment center and they're like, my parents are kind of trying to figure out why is she really in here? Like what's really going on? And I had never told my father about the abuse. And so I had two separate meetings, one with my mom and one with my dad. And I sat down with my mom and I told her, I was like, you, I feel like you never believed me. And that really, you know, messed me up. And I think made a wall between us. She said, Taylor, I always believed you. We found out a few weeks after I had that conversation with Maddie's grandma, that she had done it to another girl. I always believed you. I just didn't want to bring it up again to reopen the wound. And I was like, uh, <laughs> that would have been great. Shut to know. Up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So it was, I mean, that was a whole thing. But when I finally told my dad, he, I mean, he was obviously very upset, but I think he had the best reaction out of anyone. Like we drove home, she still lives next door. Uh, and we stop in front of her house and he goes, should we egg it? <laughs> like, no he goes yeah i didn't think so yeah. we pull into the driveway i love it. it it continued to happen for about six months after i told my mom the abuse yeah i um it ended up being one of those things where it was like okay kids you don't have any like and, and maddie specifically had just i mean lost her mother the year before and she was changing schools, so her grandmother asked if I could still be Maddie's friend. Even though her grandma was saying that you were doing this to Maddie. Yes. Yes. <laughs> and, oh my gosh, I've never even talked about this with anybody. I had a conversation with Maddie after. I remember I was like, let's ride our bikes somewhere. She's like, okay. <laughs> we like ride our bikes to the other cul-de-sac. And I was like, my mom thinks I did this to you. I, oh my God, I vividly remember me telling her, like, I was like, my mom thinks that I was doing this to you. She said, well, it was 50-50. I said, no fucking way. And she kept trying to, like, negotiate with me, be like, well, like, 30-70. God, this is not the price is right. Yeah. <laughs> you are wrong. Yeah. yeah. And I hadn't seen her since, actually, my freshman year of high school, I saw her. And I like was dating somebody and she somehow got their number and texted them and was like, hi, like, and was coming on to them. It was very weird. And I hadn't seen her. And then I went home from college, my junior year of college. 
So this was like two or three years ago and I'm home alone and there's a knock at the door. I open the door and there's Maddie handing me an empty dish that my mom apparently sent cookies to her grandmother in. What a nut job. And I just looked at her. What do you, I know you recently saw your abuser, right? You're in the grocery yeah. store. Like Stick that away. feeling, you're just like, <laughs> I'm not like fight or flight necessarily for me, but it was like, oh my God, my stomach is on the ground. Oh yeah. It's like total paralysis. I, I, Cause yeah. I would see him all the time, like just around where we're from and he like it, yeah, it does feel like very similar. Just you like, you want to throw up. I feel very fight, flight or fight, fight or flighty and particularly flighty. I feel like I just have to like run away, which is why it was so nice seeing him this last time. Just like not feeling any of that, but yeah, that is so wild. And so she just dropped off the plate and then, and left. That was, or was the there last any time. And her grandmother will sometimes come by the house to see us and like, will bring me a Christmas card with money in it sometimes. Yeah. Uh, which is weird in some ways. I, I think it's kind of like a, sorry, I didn't believe you. Like, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's probably not it's, that. It definitely but could she, be. She had done it to another girl and that's how it all came to conclusion that that was the truth of what had happened. And, and they so found I, that out after, after you had yeah. spoken up, right? about a year after okay and when you guys were having that conversation together and she was like 70 30 and you were like no what how did that conversation end i was like if you don't tell my mom the truth i will <laughs> not yeah. that that means anything because i had already done that yeah. <laughs> but i think i was just pleading with her like I, I i remember we were on our bikes and i and she's debating me you know 70 30 20 80 is what we got to and, <laughs> <laughs> Fine, I'll take yeah. it. Deal. <laughs> or no deal. <laughs> yeah. um, but I was like, but you know what the truth is. Something along those lines where I, I kind of tried to get her to say something and I don't think anything was ever said. But then I guess this other girl who I had met was one of her friends from school. I guess the exact, like to a T, the exact same thing went down. Like abusing her every time she'd come over and have a sleepover. And then she came forward pretty fast, I guess. And when she came forward, did, did they take legal action? Or did they try to and face the same? You know, I think happen? they might have because I know she was put into some sort of therapy that could have just been, you know, parenting choice. But mm -hmm. I, I'm not sure, actually, because I, I was so removed from it after. And I, it's, it's weird. I don't know if you have this experience. I, I wanted to ask you. Um, yeah. Because I was going to middle school and like, that sucks, but I wouldn't think about it ever unless it was happening right then. And, and then the rest of the night, like, unless it was happening, like at school, it felt like I was just living a completely normal life. Like this is still <laughs> like, everything's good. Yeah. Um, and then I would go home and after it would happen, of course, I would think about it until I was sick to my stomach. Um, but other than that, I mean, it's kind of weird. I felt like I completely learned how to disassociate from it. Yeah, me too. I mean, it was, it, I, I feel like that was a big defense mechanism. Like just why, why would I, I didn't want to spend any more time thinking about it than I had to. Yeah. So it was for sure a disassociation and also just, I, I feel like even when it was happening, sometimes I'd just be like, well, let me just pretend this isn't going on. You know, like it, yeah. I, it was, yeah, it's such a crazy, 
thing to be experiencing and to just be trying to have a normal life while that's going on. Um, It feels like all we can really do in that situation, especially when you don't know how to speak up about it. Yeah, I completely empathize with that. And did you like the dynamic between somebody who's younger? Because at that age, I mean, the the age difference is so minimal. Like, yeah, yeah miss that as a, so okay if she's a year older and we're the same age then all of a sudden it's rape like it would yeah I, I'm like where's the line yeah. um it was really confusing to hear like oh well it's you know it's minors so it's dismissed as playing and especially when it comes to girls yeah it's really hard for the law to see girls as, as perpetrators and who who told you all of that therapists i mean Just any time okay. i got a new therapist it would be we would like recount all your trauma for the year life and yeah. we'll go through it all and then, you know, figure out what's going on with you. And I did, I mean, a lot of therapy to deal with that. When you spoke up to your mom initially and she said that you were never, you were never going to go over there again, mm-hmm. right? When you initially spoke up, how did that feel compared to when she came back and then was asked, basically said that her, Maddie's grandma had said that you were doing it to her? Yeah. I remember the moment I told her it felt like, I mean, I, I like, like, you know, that moment when you're about to throw up and then you're like, Oh my God, it's gone. It's not happening. <laughs> yeah. It was like, I heaved and I, then my body like went limp. Like I just mm-hmm. felt like I was carrying something so heavy and it was like, Oh my God, thank God. <laughs> like, yeah. Help me carry this thing. It's so heavy. And then I remember the moment she said that my mind was like, she doesn't believe you. And my heart just sunk. And I remember making, I don't know if it was conscious, but making a choice to be like, okay, you can't trust anybody. Well, yeah. I mean, the only person that you felt comfortable enough to tell uh, basically took the the side, I mean, temporarily. Yeah. But, um, yeah. I mean, it, it's it's hard to sort of feel like you can trust anybody after that initial, like, unloading of, of what happened to you. So it totally makes sense. And the fact that Maddie's mom died seemed to have also played a significant role in like people not wanting to make Maddie's life any worse, maybe. Yeah. Um, and I think me included a little bit mm-hmm. being like, well, maybe I can handle this by myself. Uh, maybe I can say no enough and it'll be enough. Cause it was never like a, I'm like, yeah, let's do it. This is great. It was always like, no, I don't want to do it. Come on. We don't have to do it. Maddie, please don't make me do this. I'm going to feel bad or, you know, some sort of plea, or she would come in with a game and I'd be tricked into it, you know, like, let's play this game. Like you have to do this in front of me, or you have to do this to me or whatever. Yeah. Uh, Sick game. It sounds dope. (laughs) Great. Super fun. Yeah. Um, It became one of those things where I was like, I can solve this if I stand up to her. I just had to stand up to her a little bit more. She was really smart. And that's what made me think that it must have happened to her because how would she know any of any of this and these grooming techniques and Yeah. And while it was going on, like, did she ever do anything to you or was she just making you do stuff to her? No, she did do some stuff to me. Um, She had toys that she would try to put inside me or you know, she would come on to me. Like I remember once she had a hot tub, which was sick because we didn't have a hot tub. Mm-hmm. So I'd go to the hot tub, but then it would all of a sudden be, she's underwater pulling off my trunks. Yeah. Um, or trying to put something between my legs. And it was, it was always very 
invasive and aggressive when it was that. And that's the stuff I actually remember the least. Totally checks out. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) That's the stuff I'm kind of like, that that did happen. I know it happened, but like, what exact? How did that happen? Right at this cabin that we went to, uh, my friend's family had a cabin, and we would go there, and they had a hot tub too. And that was like probably my first experience, maybe even with a hot tub. One one of the first experiences with it, and I was like, just in the same way you had said, I was like, this is so fucking sweet. Like, yeah. people have this, and I remember his dad would come. Like, he never molested me in the hot tub, but he would get into the hot tub with all of us. Yeah. And at the time, I just remember being like, even though he was molesting me, I still thought it was cool. I was like, yeah, this guy's like one of the boys, you know? Yeah. And like just the way that they integrate into your life like that and just try to become somebody that's trusted and you're comfortable around. And it's, it is it is interesting. There's so many similarities between our experiences and yet they are completely different. And I don't know how to phrase this question because it's like we have we both have different experiences, but yeah. I wonder if it's more difficult to speak up when the person is older or younger than you. Yeah. And obviously super difficult either way, but I wonder what sort of an impact did the age of the girl have on you and your ability to speak up? I think more than anything, I was afraid of exactly what happened, that it would be like, oh, well, well, Taylor was playing and Taylor was doing it too. Because my biggest fear in the world, for no apparent reason, was, oh, my God, my mom thinks I'm a lesbian. (laughs) Surprise. Like, you know what I mean? (laughs) Uh Yeah. Um, Even though at that point, because you you said that you were feeling queer and like you had hunches and stuff, but with the Catholic upbringing, it was, that was a more embarrassing thing to know than what had been going on. Right. Exactly. Oh, my God. I'd rather, at that time, I'd be like, keep the molestation, the abuse. I won't tell anybody. I swear. It was yeah. so scary. It was like, that was my biggest fear more than anything, was my parents thinking I was gay. Not that they didn't accept that at all, because they're the most loving and accepting people. But I, I think it was, that was the fear and her life being harder. Because I was, I mean, I, uh, especially when I was younger, I care way too much sometimes about people to the point where I hurt myself. I put myself in bad situations. Ah, I do the same shit. Oh, <laughs> God, it's so silly. It is. Yeah. It's terrible. I'm like, oh, why are you so nice? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like, like you said about feeling guilty and not wanting to make the, the person's life harder. I mean, it really is an interesting default nature I don't know why I was like that. And I still am like that to an extent, but I don't know what made us become that way, but it makes it so much more confusing because, and more difficult to speak up because I I didn't really feel that way about the guy who was molesting me, but I definitely felt it about my friend. Oh yeah. What a fucking nightmare of a situation that he would have to deal with if, if, if I spoke up. So I definitely get what you mean there. And yeah, even though you might not really know what's going to happen, you know that it's not going to be good for them probably. Yeah. It's not going to be pleasant regardless. Yeah. And and that's your friend. Yeah. And I mean, you mentioned, you ask like, is it harder to talk about someone who's your age or older? I, I don't know. No, I won't get into it. (laughs) No, please do. Yeah. No, no. I, I ended up dating um, an older guy right after this ended with, this girl, Maddie. And so this is, you were like 14. Yeah. And he was, 
he was only a few years old. He was 16, maybe 17. Yeah. 16. Anyway, um, I thought he was so cool because he was bisexual and like wore fingerless gloves and had <laughs> buttons on his sweater. I was like, wow. What That's the goal of like 2012 for you. Yeah, right. <laughs> um, and he ended up um, being really abusive in our relationship. And I reported him to a teacher because he had forced me to give him a blowjob. And that was like the first slow job I ever gave. I wished it was the last. <laughs> <laughs> was it? Yeah. I must have been, I was a freshman in high school. And I reported him to a teacher and the teacher said to stay away from him. And that was it. Sick. So Super helpful. <laughs> both times I was kind of like really discouraged. Um, yeah. But it felt easier the second time. I think because I was just like, I'm not putting up with this shit anymore. Like, I'm not right. doing it. What outrageous advice, though. Like, why don't you just not date him? Like, he's oh, like, and this guy ends up getting, I mean, he's like the lead in every, in every play in our program. And yeah. this teacher knew about it. Everybody knew that he was a, not a great dude. And I recently, like, made a tweet about it. Um, so many, what is it, like, five years later? Mm -hmm. since I graduated high school. And um, I said something like, I came to someone with, that I trusted with this information and I was you know, turned away with this, with this advice. If you like, keep telling people, keep asking for help because somebody will give you the right answer. Mm -hmm. And I got a bunch of messages because I explained the story in like a thread and I got a bunch of messages from people on my program from high school and they were like, one of them was like, I had no idea. I'm so sorry. I wish I could have been there for you, which was really nice. But I'm like, I think you had an idea. <laughs> and then, yeah. which also, but when you're in high school, it's kind of like, what am I supposed to do with that information? If the adults aren't doing anything, why yeah. should I, you know, do anything? Mm -hmm. I don't know. I got, I got some interesting messages though. Did you get people that had experienced something similar? I had somebody message me saying that she knew and she wishes she had done something. Mm, that's tough. And then uh, I knew another girl that he had done something similar to. I mean, really, this just comes down to education and putting, putting people in positions of power that are going to use that power responsibly and not just tell you to basically she just told you to fuck off. I mean, that's like yeah. essentially what she said. And it's so wild to me that like adults exist that, that can function like that. It seems yeah. so silly, but it, it is outrageously common. And I just wonder, cause I, I feel, earlier I was like, so this only happened to you once. So I was curious, <laughs> but like, <laughs> so it did happen a second time. And I'm, I was curious, like, do you think that the fact that it was a girl doing it to you when you were young, do you think that that made it more difficult to speak up? Like, did you have any idea that people would, I mean, obviously you didn't know what would happen legally, but do you think, did, did part of you think that people would believe you less because it was a girl doing it? I think part of me was afraid that, I think I didn't believe that it was happening because it was a girl. Mm. Like, I was like, this doesn't count because it's a girl. <laughs> they can't be hurting me because it's my best friend. You know, it's like yeah. kid logic trying to justify it. Of course. I, I guess it is just kid logic, honestly. Yeah. Yeah. Kid logic is bananas, but it is so like, have you looked up the, 
the legality of this stuff recently? Uh, when, when was the last time that you spoke up to a therapist about it? Oh, it must have been like 2009. Mm-hmm. Um, only because I, I kind of dropped, I, I, I came to terms with the fact that like the abuse happened maybe my senior year of high school or no, that's a lie. My sophomore year of college, <laughs> I'm jumping <laughs> the gun here. Let's not give me that much credit. Um, it took a while, but I kind of finally came to a place where I was comfortable to talk about it. And um, how did you get to that point? I think I was always someone that was like, I know I have the secret, but I don't know why it's a secret. And I remember I would, I would like tell a friend every few years, like somebody I was very close to, I'd be like this happened. And, you know, you get weird responses. You get the, oh, my God, I'm so sorry. Are you okay? And you're like, oh, I can't deal with this. Yeah, remind me to never tell you again. Yeah, Yeah. I remember telling you anything. Yeah. But I think what it kind of came down to is drama school. Everybody's just sharing their shit, which Mm. is hilarious. But it's kind of like I would be able to talk about it in a serious way. And, like, this is something I've experienced. Like, I am a survivor of this. Yeah. And then I saw your TikTok and this is legitimately what changed it for me was your TikTok about the Heelys. I called my dad pissing my pants laughing. I said, <laughs> that's how you make a goddamn joke about being molested. <laughs> he, was like, he was like, I'm saying, man, where's your joke? Now I'm like constantly making jokes about it with my friends and like, some of them have gotten comfortable enough to make jokes back, which is fun. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's so fun when you get to that point. Yeah. Exactly. Because what am I going to do? Like it happened. I'm fine. Yeah. Life moves on. And all you can do is, is make it less weird by talking about it. Completely. It's not that they like, you can joke about it and still be serious at times. You know, you don't have to joke about it constantly, but I yeah. do think that there's so much value in being able to laugh about it. And like, even though a lot of people don't, don't respond super positively to it. The people that do are like, Oh my God, this is amazing that you can feel this way about this thing that happened to you. That's so bad. And has been so bad for so long. And uh, yeah, thanks for saying that. I'm really glad that you and your dad had that exchange. I told my boss that she was cackling. (laughs) I just, everyone I meet, I'm like, do you want to hear the best molestation joke I've ever heard? Check out this TikTok. (laughs) Just cracks me up. So then I tried to do my own joke and it's simply too dark for tiktok i think so oh well i would love to hear it if (laughs) if it's so it was just just raised catholic so i believed things happened for reasons yeah god like was playing chess and like making things happen and i say that because i i I knew i was supposed to be molested because i was an altar server for about three years and a priest never laid a hand on me so god sent a girl That's great. I love that. Oh, I'm sure maybe TikTok isn't going to push that out, but it's a great joke, you know? And it's like, I haven't heard many female victims yeah. of the Catholic church at all. Mm-hmm. Um, they definitely have a preference, but I don't know if that's like, does that happen? I'm sure it does. Uh, maybe just to a lesser extent, but I don't really know. Not that I know of, or not that I've heard of personally. Yeah. Um, but I remember when, did you ever see that movie Spotlight? No. It's about the Boston Globe newspaper and they're the ones that um, released all of the priests that were pedophiles. Like they were the ones that the world found out through them. Movie's great, you should watch it. Mark Ruffalo, Michael Keaton, really good movie. Um, I watched it so many times because I'm just like, they released all of this information and yet 
most of these priests were never charged. They just got moved to different like dioceses, which (laughs) still rocks my world because they still do that. Mm. Wasn't it like the, the, the Pope right before the Pope they have now was a pedophile? I could be, I could be probably. No, no, it's sounds, I wouldn't put it past them there. Yeah. So many of them. And like, you look at all these major organizations that are having this stuff come out, like the Boy Scouts now recently had a hundred thousand some cases and people that's really, I think the importance of humor is showing because so many people just don't want to talk about this stuff because of how it makes them feel. And if you can make people feel a different way about the topics, you can make them be more comfortable talking about it. And I think that that joke is fantastic. And I think you're going to have to restart this stand-up business like pretty, pretty soon here. Cause that's great. Thank and, you. <laughs> and it's like, that is the perfect stand-up joke, you know, like that would crush in a, in a stand-up room. There's a lot there and there's a lot that you can mine from your experience that <laughs> will not only be super helpful for you, but like, I mean, experiences like yours and mine, but particularly things where people have been through what you've been through and it's, it's different, you know, there's a whole spectrum of things, but in terms of like the additional element, not just like, I, I just got molested, you know, I, I didn't have to deal with the additional, like uh, it being my best friend who was doing it, like, fuck, if Jamie was molesting me, oh my God, I don't know how I would have survived. So it's, it's really good that, um, that you are as open and, and vocal about it as you are. And I can only imagine how many people you're going to help on this podcast and just in your life by being so you know authentic about it (laughs) thanks it seems so silly to me that if she had been born a year later then like what if you are the same age is it rape that's what i'm saying this is my question is is it just because we were under the age of 16 because 16 is the legal age of consent in colorado or it was back then so i i just i have a lot of questions i'd love to talk to a lawyer about this honestly yeah yeah not because I'm interested in anything, but I just want to know, like, why was that dismissed every single time? Like, it had been reported by about three different therape- therapists. To, and who do they report it to? They have to report it to their superiors. And if it's something that is um, illegal, it has to go to a court case. Like, if you're being harmed or if someone has harmed you or you harm somebody else. Uh, so if I'm, if I'm a nine-year-old and I murder a 10-year-old, what? What? They're like, nah, it's not murder. Kids playing. Just yeah. Insane. What the fuck? <laughs> like, I don't slaughter. understand. Yeah. And also, like, does that just mean that girls are completely immune to this kind of stuff? Like, yeah. If, it's like, are, where's the double accused? standard end and begin? Um, and I, it's probably just comes down to people not understanding how, th- just the fact that this happens. Girls can do this, almost yeah. in the same way that people don't understand the significance of how often it happens to guys. Yeah. Uh, it's kind of similar in that regard. It's just an interesting thing because kids do play. And that's how it began. Very innocent and then very fast, not innocent. Mm. Um, But but some days it was very much like, we're going to play this nice game. And it was like, oh, okay. This is nicer than the other thing. So why not? But it's like you can, there's, to say that all things are play is absurd. Oh, absolutely. I mean, and it's 
man, it's wild. There's so many problems around the, around the way these things are handled legally and like educationally and in therapy. There's, <laughs> there's a lot of things yeah. that need to be changed, but that's why it's good to be talking about this stuff. Absolutely. Um, when you got to the point where your mom, mom believed you and like you found out that this girl had been, this, she'd done it to somebody else in the gram, you know, all, all of that came out. How did that affect your relationship with your, with your mom? And then obviously eventually your dad found out, but what did it feel like when she was basically, it was like, Hey, I, I believe you. I felt that, that exact same moment of relief, but also like, it was like, f- finally, like I could breathe. I, it was like a, you yeah. know, that moment where you, you yeah. holding your breath for so long. Um, and my mom and I have a phenomenal relationship now. Uh, I was an asshole in high school because who isn't? Um, yeah, we all are. <laughs> kind of an asshole to my parents in high school. Um, but once I, and, and my mom has always been, you know, the one that drives me to therapy, gets my medicine refilled. You know, when I was in college, you know, sending it from Colorado to New York, making sure I had refills. She's always been the one that had my back. And I just, took until I left home to kind of realize, oh shit, like you thought for so long, she didn't believe you, but she always treated you like she did. That's great. Yeah. <laughs> She's a great lady. <laughs> yeah. Before we started talking about all of this stuff, you were talking about the impact that weight and food had on you and, and growing up in life. And I was just hoping you could speak a little bit about that and how that maybe intertwined with these experiences that you had with Maddie and then the guy in high school and what kind yeah, of an impact absolutely. that played on everything. Um, I was always very um, overweight. I was incredibly round as a child, like and I didn't have eyebrows because I'm so blonde. These are fake, completely drawn on for those who are listening. <laughs> um, yeah. I, I just was a very, I, I was a tubby round kid and I could never get my weight really under control. And it wasn't until I took one of these mental health medications that I gained a lot of weight because that's a huge side effect from any depression medication, your appetite changes. And so I remember I got very heavy and during the abuse, those three years, I would eat at, at least two full dinners by myself, like king size plates, because I think having that as the one thing I could control was what I could put inside my, in, in my mouth, in my body, you know, what I was eating. Um, yeah. That it was like, I can do what I want. I can have as much as I want of this. And it was in some ways like binge eating disorder. A lot of the times people eat when they're uncomfortable. And obviously I was constantly uncomfortable, you know, thinking like, oh my God, like there's this abuse going on. I'm in middle school. I'm tubby. Like (laughs) I don't have eyebrows. Everything's happening. Um, So I was constantly eating and seventh or eighth grade when the abuse was still happening, I developed anorexia and I started dropping weight really fast and I wouldn't eat. And that throughout high school, Throughout middle school, high school, uh, and the beginning of college, it was like I would bounce between three, like not eating enough, eating way too much and throwing up, or just eating way too much, or like not eating all day and then eating all night, you know? And Mm -hmm. it it was always very mood-based. It wasn't, I'm hungry, I should eat lunch. And it's not necessarily like I was eating healthy. I mean, I was in college, you can't really afford much. I lived around the corner from a Taco Bell. Yeah. Like, yeah, that's tough. Yeah. Ron Trapp Supreme. Like I was it's ready. The best. Yeah. <laughs> but 
the, the food was the, the one um, tactic I had, one coping skill I felt worked. And once I realized, I think it was my sophomore year of college, I was like, oh, I'm, I eat to support myself for comfort. I don't eat for fuel. I kind of had a moment where I looked at myself and I was 300 pounds and I was like, okay, I have all these health problems now. This is where I'm at. So I started um, trying to lose weight and I couldn't, and I, you know, cut out all the bad stuff. My mom came to me and was like, I, I actually had a friend who had the same procedure I had and I went through with it and lost all of this weight, but also then developed an eating disorder after the surgery back to being anorexic again. I was counting my calories. I wouldn't eat anything that wasn't on the okay doctor list. Like I wouldn't even have like a taste of ice cream. Like my life was, and I was looking at pictures of me from back then today and I look like a bobblehead. Like, <laughs> like my God, my head's so like, goodness, it just doesn't make sense. Yeah. Um, and I, I can trace my mental health directly with my weight through my entire life. Mm. And so right now the pilot or the, the series I'm working on is about this woman who her weight fluctuates based on the shit she's going through because mm. that's how normal people are. Yeah. You know, totally. And it's one of those things where I feel like abuse manifests itself in the way that it impacts us in so many different ways. But as you get older, you sort of become more conscious of like, how did this affect me? And, like, do you think that the abuse had an, an effect on the food that you were eating or anything oh, yeah. like that? Yeah, definitely. It wasn't like, it was always comfort food. Like one of the signs uh, that your child is binge eating is if they're hiding food, it would be like full pieces of cake ready under my bed. <laughs> I was like, not fucking around, bro. I'd prep that shit. Yeah. <laughs> I would get worried about a night eating and how like, they make the bag so noisy to shame us from night eating, but it's <laughs> soundtrack. <laughs> like the like bags. That's right. They are loud. Yeah. Taco Bell bags. Fuck. Yeah, man, they're just trying to discourage us. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right after you had the surgery, you developed anorexia. And despite, you know, having just lost however much weight you said you lost, um, do you think that that was like, like, what was your thought process after, like, right after you had the surgery? Were you just kind of like, oh, I need, I need to lose more? Or, like, how do you think that you redeveloped so the anorexia? Basically, then? with the surgery, they remove 80% of the normal stomach. You're left with Whoa. a two, uh, 20%. You wow. can eat one cup at a time. That's it. Like, that's your whole portion. But you're supposed to eat, like, six to eight times a day. And it is specifically for people, I mean... If you have binge eating disorder, you cannot have binge eating disorder with this. There's physically no room. Like if I drink too much water, I vomit. Oh, wow. Uh, it happened yesterday. Like I like, <laughs> got back from a run and I like chugged some water and I was like, mm, there's no room in the end. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's tiny, but it, you lose weight after the procedure. They don't take any physical fat off. Mm. Um, so within six months, I was 90 pounds down. And in my mind, it was, don't fuck this up. Right. And then, so I total lost 100. My grandmother, who was my favorite person on the planet, passed last November. Oh. And I gained back 40 pounds from my lowest weight. And I was devastated. Like, I was like, oh, my God, I did it again. Some shit hit the fan, and I went back to food. 
Mm-hmm. And I think I, I joined a lot of um, support groups on Facebook, actually. Sure. For people who've had the same surgery as me. Um, and it's all like Midwestern middle-aged women. And they're so nice. I love it. Um, <laughs> Like you'll be like having a rough day, want a milkshake, and they're like, "No, girlfriend, you got this." Oh, perfect, <laughs> Janine. Um, but yeah, uh, yeah I, I think my mind was kind of like, "Don't fuck this up. Lose as much weight as you possibly can," because my my friend that had the surgery lost more than I did, and so in my head I was like, "I've messed up. Mm. I must have done something wrong." And we're just completely different people. We're shaped completely differently. Um, like we're just not the same body type. And, you know, I'm, I'm still a considered plus size woman, like, mm-hmm. and I have no problem with that because I wasn't really doing it for cosmetic reasons. It was solely for the health purposes. Yeah. I got off like three mental health medications after the surgery, like everything cleared up. My depression got better. My anxiety got better. I'm sleeping. Life is good. Amazing. <laughs> That's great. Yeah. And I'm sorry to hear about your grandma. Yeah. Thank you. That's, that's tough. I, it's funny because I, uh, despite all of the, the abuse that I went through, I was never, I felt like I was never affected in the same way that I was when my grandpa died. Yeah. And it definitely put me into a state of depression that I hadn't really experienced before just because I hadn't really had somebody close to me die uh, or somebody that I like knew really well. And I was living with them at the time. And yeah. I wanted to ask you, like, how did that affect you? The loss of your grandma? It's strange because everybody in my family was expecting me to take it the hardest because we were the closest. Like she was my bitch, (laughs) my Martha, (laughs) my grandma. Uh, And she would, um, but what happened was I was flying home for my best friend's baby shower and I land and my mom says, you have a flight at 7 PM. You're going to California. Grandma had a stroke. I'm like, fuck. Okay. I can handle a stroke. I don't, I've never seen a, somebody who's been through a stroke and I didn't realize how heavily it affected her. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was very lucky in the sense that I got to be with her a week before she died. Mm. I spent, I spent three days with her and, you know, holding her hand, singing to her. She just asked over and over, sing to me, Taylor, sing to me. <laughs> we tried remembering as many songs as we possibly could that you would know. Yeah. Uh, and I was really depressed when she died and we were all back together in California. And my uncle said, or I, I said, how, how are you not so sad? He said, Taylor, your grandmother was a Catholic woman. She worked every day so that she could be with the Lord when she dies. This is what she wants. <laughs> beautiful, beautiful. I'm not Catholic, yeah. but that's... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's a great way to look at it. But yeah. I was like, you know what? She had a great life. She saw all of us before she passed. What else could I ask for? She wasn't in pain. Yeah. I feel great. really at peace with it, honestly. I'm so glad to hear that. It's such invaluable time. I mean, it's like so oftentimes people don't get to say goodbye or anything like that. And so it's really, it's cool that you were able to. Pretty wild, wild story. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Taking uh, yeah. for a whirlwind a little bit. The, the responses that you had to speaking up, how did that affect you? It fucked me up, mm-hmm. to be frank. I developed depression, uh, seventh going into eighth grade to a point where like, I had never been suicidal before, but I was unresponsive. Like my mom would be like, Taylor, Taylor. And I'd be like, because I was over medicated because I was so depressed and they'd never 
you know, they were like, she's not really depressed usually, she's just anxious. Like, mm-hmm. so I got over medicated, then they took me off all the medication. Then I was incredibly suicidal, little eighth grader. And what happened was I vividly remember writing this letter to my mom saying, I wasn't planning on, you know, hurting myself at all. I just was like, I need help. I'm sad all the time. I want to go to sleep and I don't know what to do. And she pulled me out of school that day, took me to children's hospital. I got a psyche value, a psyche valve. And then I went to this youth center overnight to make sure I'd be safe because they were like, are you, you feel safe at home? Like, do you feel like you would ask for help if you were in danger? I was like, ask who? No. And also I think part of me was like, I want to go stay at this place, but it was a prison. Literally looks like a prison. It was so scary. Half the girls were there for like drugs and runaway stuff. And then the other half were like a little off their rockers like me. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was, it, I mean, I met the most amazing people. Um, but I, I went and that experience in the, in the treatment center, I never once spoke about the abuse. I think in my brain, I just didn't think about it. I was like, yeah, I'm just sad. There's no reason, but I'm sad. It was very much like surface level to me. I think I literally took all those memories and put them in a box and hid them in the back of my head. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't until the other abuse happened with that boy that I even realized like weight of it that it was affecting me for so many years. And yeah. so after that boy had abused me, that's when I went back to that treatment center. And what was that like the second time? Oh my God, transformative. Cause I wanted to be there the second time. Like I, I checked myself in and my parents, I think were like low key kind of tight about it. They're like, she's just trying to get out of finals part of it, but yeah. <laughs> really sad. Um, <laughs> so I, I mean, it was amazing because they put me in an eating disorder group. And they put me in a sexual uh, assault survivor group. Mm -hmm. So I was in these two groups. I didn't talk once in either group, but I listened. And then I had individual therapy twice a day. So it was just like, and then you had family therapy twice a week. So, and I was only there for four days, but I got to sit down with a therapist in the room with my dad and be like, this happened to me and I've been scared to tell you. And he just hugged me. He just held me and... I was like, wow, why was I keeping all of this a secret from these people for so long? Like it, it, that experience was so healing. And I finally got on the right medication and like life was good after that. That's amazing. And what you said there just about like, why, why, am I, why was I keeping this from these people for so long is really sort of sums up like molestation in many ways and yeah. why, why we don't speak up. We come up with a million reasons why we can't tell people. And, and going all the way back to what I was talking about earlier with like being in my head about things and being too caring about not wanting to upset people. All of these things are irrelevant when you're going through abuse. It doesn't yeah. matter. You have to recognize that you are in many ways helping other people by speaking up you never know just as with the girl who went on to abuse somebody else like 
you don't know who, who you might be helping, but the people that you're worried about, like preserving the relationship, you're worried about how they'll react to what you went through. You, you have to prioritize yourself and you have to put aside your need to keep everybody happy and just be willing to recognize that like you, you will be able to do so much more good for people if you speak up. And I like fucking it just absolutely adore you, Taylor. And like I, the whole way. That I love just, you. I love you too. And it's so it's really just it's fun to talk about these things. And it it makes you feel just like more connected with the world yeah. and like having these experiences and knowing that you're not alone. I say that every podcast, but it really does feel like that. And yeah. yeah, I don't know. I guess for anybody who's listening or watching who hasn't spoken up yet, and I know that there are a lot of people like that, um, take this as a, as a sign to do so because it will make your whole life better. And even if the person who was abusing you doesn't benefit from it, I mean, it's like, whatever, dude, fucking prioritize yourself, you know, you yep. know at some point. I just wanted to ask you what kind of advice you would give to somebody who's been through anything similar to you, um, who's hoping to get to the point that you're at now. What would you say to somebody like that? I'd probably say that no matter what, somebody cares no matter what somebody cares because it'll feel like nobody cares or it'll be like, Oh, well maybe they won't. Well, somebody will, if you don't get the reaction you need, if you don't get the help you need, somebody will, somebody else will give it to you. Don't think that one person is your lifeline. So, so important to not be discouraged if, if you aren't believed and you, there are, there's not only will people believe you, but there's a massive community of people who know exactly how you feel and empathize with your situation and want to help you and are there for you. And you just have to keep speaking up until you find them. And I, I totally agree. And, um, yeah, man, I'm just, oh, I feel very thankful to have just been speaking with you and I just love your story. I feel and so light. I feel like I need to go run through the streets of New York. Like, Oh, I'm so Thanks happy for having me. That. I feel amazing right now. Oh, that's great. Me too. I'm so <laughs> glad that you do. It's funny how these, you know, it's just like the way you present the information, right? And the and where you're at emotionally. And like, it, I think it's just cool to be able to be at a point where like, however many years ago, like a conversation like this would have been devastating probably to both of us, you know? Totally, I mean? totally. Oh my God. So my whole day. Yeah. Yeah. But here we are. And uh, I know that people will benefit from hearing your story. So thank you so much for coming on here, Taylor. And um, do you, what's, what's the name of your pilot, your, your script or Instagram, anything that you'd like to, to plug? Um, well, I have a few plays and scripts that'll come out, uh, but follow my Instagram at Taylor Cozort, T-A-Y-L-O-R-C-O-Z-O-R-T. Thank you so much for being here, Taylor. Thanks for having me, Sebastian.